in this episode of the Curtis Bond Podcast, which this is actually episode number 58, not 57, okay? I'm joined by singer, songwriter, guitarist, and instructor Chuck Trey Smith, man. Another great episode. Uh, me and Chuck, uh, we talk about how I got to start in the, in the in the music industry and some of the time he spent as a recording artist on Columbia Motown Records and just the major differences, you know, between, you know, the pre-digital and the post-digital uh, record industry. We talk about some of the work he's done in the teaching and educational space, as well as conducting various songwriting workshops and lectures, including the San Diego Writers Conference, as well as the history of rock and roll and the evolution of songwriting. Man, Chuck has also taught hundreds of people through private one-on-one instruction. And uh, we end the episode talking about some of his latest solo music releases and the different messages that he has within his music and what inspired him to create these songs, guys. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. This is episode number 57. I've got a very special guest with me today. This is my man, Chuck Stray-Dew-Smith, man. How you doing today, Chuck? I'm doing real good. How about yourself? Good, 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 man. Good, good. So... You know, um, we are, we got connected, like I was just saying before we started recording, through a podcast agent, Dan, um, and it's interesting because this podcast is part of a, a podcast network, and I guess this guy, Dan, has been paying attention to my podcast because he sent, think- <laughs> he sent a couple of different guests to to me, and this, my podcast is about, I usually cover three, either three type of t- Three type of topic topic subjects, uh, which is either disability awareness, you know, music business topics to help independent artists, and obviously people's stories that can encourage and inspire me, especially people who've had great careers in the music business like yourself. So I'm just really glad to have you as a guest on my on my pod today. Thank you. <laughs> cool, cool, man. So you are a singer, songwriter, and guitarist. Correct. Um, right. So. Um, you know, so I would like to ask this guest first. I want to ask, so where are you originally from? Uh, well, I grew up in the Midwest, Michigan, and Kentucky, but I've been in California for almost forty years. Okay, this is home. L.A. is home. Yeah, and I came out in the music business. I also came out here because of the Beach Boys. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. You man. know, I saw that cover on their first album, and they were on a. Uh, a Woody on the beach, you know, with flannel shirts and jeans and bare feet. You're just like, boy, I want to be there. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, yeah. and, and it's interesting because there was a time where you had to be in L.A. or in some of these big, you know, you don't have to do that much these days. But back then, you know, you had to be in a specific city to even pursue this stuff. <laughs> well, that, uh, Nashville and New York and London, I guess, would be the other ones that you, you know, those were sort of the centers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Interesting, man. Interesting. So, um, you know, I would like to ask, you know, what's your earliest memories of music? I always ask my musical guests uh, this question, and it's always interesting to hear their responses. Um, Well, from the time I can even remember, because both of my parents are from uh, musical families. My mother's father played in the dance band after working at the Ford factory all day long. Uh, my dad, everybody in the family sang. Uh, in fact, his brother ended up in the Fred Waring Choral Group, which was actually a, a hit choral group way, way back in the 50s and 60s, but he sang in that. My dad was an excellent singer, and so was my mother. My dad played um, clarinet. Uh, he was heavy into Benny Goodman, which for those who don't know that, he was a very famous big band leader and excellent uh, clarinet player. And my dad was also into jazz, and so I was... Uh, heavily steeped in that from the time I was about five years old. In fact, he took me to see Ray Charles. Uh, This would have been about 1961. And Cassius Clay was in the audience. This was before he was even on my feet. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so, and and I I played Clarence a little bit, but uh, once uh, Elvis and Little Richard and Chuck Berry and everybody else came out, rock and roll was uh, the language I wanted to speak. And so I started playing guitar. Awesome. Awesome, man. I mean, those are some amazing names. Uh, 
legendary, legendary names, man. Shout out to the legend Ray Charles. And, and, well, uh, and Charles too. Um, in my opinion, Ray Charles influenced every vocalist that came afterwards. I, I don't care if you're talking about heavy metal singers. It, the way he sang and the way he phrased and the sound of his voice influenced everybody to this right. day. Yeah. It's just the way it is. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I get you. And even in the music business, because I, I believe, according to the movie, he is one of the first artists to own his masters, you know, uh, you know, uh, and be able to, you know, because he was on Atlantic and believe it at the time, people, you know, now, I mean, the Atlantic's a major label, but at that time, they were a small independent label. And he said, well, if I'm going to leave, you know, my, people who have had my back forever in a day, you got to sweeten the pot up <laughs> because, you know. Uh, yeah, you and, know. and your younger listeners, uh, so we kind of connect that. This is the reason that Taylor Swift, for example, was mm -hmm. so irate and outraged that uh, people had control of her masters mm -hmm. so that now she's re-recording all her old albums. Yep, yep. It's same question that you're bringing up with Ray Charles. You know, mm -hmm. here's a modern artist, Taylor Swift, who's right. a very savvy, very successful person, you know, and the right. way she, and I think I mentioned on another uh, interview I had that I think she's a great role model for women because she right. does, does it all and, and she makes the decisions. And so uh, there's an example of someone today that was concerned about her master. So yeah. Yeah, like with yeah. especially in the, t in the day, and as, we, as we're seeing Chuck, we're seeing how a lot of these, a lot of these more uh, artists that have more legendary catalogs are selling their, selling their masks to these hedge funds and these big money people because I think because of the streaming game and the lack of money that the streaming game is paying out, you know, oh, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? I know Justin Timberlake just sold his catalog for like $300 million or something like that. Well, know. No, the David Crosby from Crosby, Stills and Nash sold his, and, and one of the reasons was is yes, the streaming thing. So it meant that he had to go on the road to make his money, but right. the pandemic took that all away. Right. Because he couldn't he couldn't go out and, and play in public. Right. right. So that's when he sold his because he needed the money. Yeah, and I think it's you know as we know you know on the, the publishing in your catalog is really your four hundred one k retirement for a Absolutely. musician. You know what I mean? So. And I think a lot of people, like I said, because of the pandemic, because of a lot of things happening, some people just don't want to go on the road and have to, you know, that 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 was and still is for a lot of people, the majority of how they make a living. Yes, you it know? is. So, you know, yeah. um, so a lot of people either don't want to, just don't want to go on the road like that all the time anymore, because it's a lot to do that, especially if you get older in age. But, you know, it's just, it, it's the industry's changed so much. I mean, you know, <laughs> The industry's changed so, so much. You know, I'm 36 years old, so, you know, and I've been in, in, in the game for a little while, but to see the digital space, and I've always said this, uh, we, this era of music, musicians are what I call, they're not recording artists, they're content creators. Uh, I, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, they're content creators with a focus on music. So it's a much, much different strategy. You know, uh, you used to be able to just go make a record and give it to a label so you guys go do the marketing and the promotion and figure it out. I'm going to lock myself in the studio, make a record, <laughs> and go on the road and promote yeah. that record. But now you have you can't release anything without a content strategy. You know, you have to understand social media. Yeah, and we'll get about into this a little bit later, but that's just, that's that's really kind of what changed, what's the old industry versus the new industry of kind of how you got to approach it today, you know? Well, um, so now it, it's your record promotes the tour as opposed to the other way around. Right, right, right. That's oh, what for established artists, you know, they're they're putting out a record, and you know, somebody like Billie Eilish can make a lot of money in the record, but when they go out on the road, that's where they're really making the money. Exactly, exactly. And you just have to, you know, I was saying this before, in the record business, you know, everybody wants to get to the one percent because that's who we see. You know, we see the one percenters at the award shows and the big stuff like that. But there's 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 millions and millions of other independent artists trying to do this thing. And thank God that the world is a big place, right? Because everybody's not gonna make it huge in America, you know. Well, but I will say, I will say this. Um, I recently I still do a little teaching, um, just only part time now. But 
there is a whole indie movement that uh, I would say, generally speaking, uh, teenagers and then early 20s are, are really into. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of these bands that have three and 400 million streams on their yeah. stuff. Don't yeah. even know who they are, for heaven's sake. Right. Uh, and, you know, I can think of one in, in El Paso, a group called Cigarettes After Sex. They, uh, the guy that sings lead, he sounds like a woman, but um, they have an enormous number of streams and they were just right. did a tiny desk concert on NPR. Right. And wow, you know, <laughs> they're making some money, you know, but it's not that everybody knows who they are, but there's a whole lot of teenagers around who do know who they are. Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's really yeah. bizarre. I'd never heard of it. In fact, I, I mentioned this too to somebody the other day. There's a group called Monster Monster that all of a sudden saw their social media uh, blowing up. And what had happened is somebody had taken one of their tunes from 2008 and mm -hmm. had put it in their soundtrack of their TikTok video. And right. all of a sudden, bam, they're, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. 12 years ago, it's got new life. Of yeah, it's got new life, right? And that's, yeah. just, that's where it's changed, man. I mean, as content creators, unfortunately, you know, with the record, with the major record labels, and I've always, I've been, I've been saying this for a long time, they don't really know what they're doing. They're just figuring out, okay, we're for, what's hot? Let's pour gasoline on it. You know what I mean? So, so they're kind of saying, okay, we're signing these content creators, you know, because they have amazing numbers. You know, most of these people probably won't be around in five or six years. You know what I mean? Because you know, we live in an era where music, you know, things just kind of move that fast. And hopefully, if they're smart, they've built that audience that'll care when the people really, when the mass, when it, from, from a massive, mass, mass, macro perspective, when people stop caring. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think a lot of these groups have a label. I think they've just done it uh, yeah. on their own because they, they know how to work social media. And, exactly. And it's a genre, and you, know, you have a lot of followers there. So. It's worked out well for them. The, the difference for me too, um, nowadays, I, I mean, before you had an accent on musicians and, and yeah. uh, like Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, such who are really uh, innovators and affected uh, a lot of people. And you don't really know the musicians and the singers like in that manner today now. It's right, not no, that, you don't, right. Not the deal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a different it's a different time. I think I think it's a time. But what I will say is, this is a great time for artists who kind of want to do things their way, right? Because there is oh. no there is no said blueprint of how to do things in everybody's career. No two people's careers ever the same. I'm sure you've heard that many times. You know, no two people's career path is ever exactly the same. Right, that's it. That you know might be similar along the way, but never ever exactly the same. And I think that's a beautiful thing because, you know, it used to be a time where the A and R had to believe in you, had to see your vision. You know, if they didn't see your vision, there's no way they're going to go to bat for you <laughs> because they just did just didn't make sense for them. But nowadays, if especially if you're doing music that's not so much commercially driven, but some kind of off the wall avant-garde type stuff you know but if you can find an audience for it you know you can win and your age used to be a time too as you know where your age mattered because major record companies didn't want to sign in quote-unquote older artists because they didn't know how much time they could feed off the album and, and you know because especially in commercial music was, youth is the best possible thing you know how, how how long can we can we can we can we sell this artist to, you know to this particular group so of, of people so i think yeah. these days it, it's a great time to be able to do things the way you want to do it as long as you can find a pathway to find people to get people to buy into what you're doing yeah and you have to be skilled at social media and uh, absolutely especially a lot of uh, say older musicians that's not as uh seamless a process as it is for the younger people who've grown up with the, right. the computer Right, right. So you, you know, you can certainly buy, find people to help you. <laughs> Definitely, and you yeah. know, and, that, and, that, and that's why I said that's why when I do a lot of coaching and consulting, you know, that's why I teach. I have a framework that I call the genesis of superfan building, and it's just really again, you know, under the premise of build your superfans, 
and get them to buy into what is it you're doing and everything starts on social media this does mm -hmm. i yeah. tell artists who hey, if you don't embrace social media it's gonna be very very hard to to get where you want to get to because it's just part of the game every industry has certain things you kind of just have to do and you have to embrace it otherwise it's just you know you're kind of spinning your wheels at that point <laughs> Yeah, you, you can complain about it all you want. So if you don't want to do it, you have to get somebody to do it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> I've, done, I've, I've gotten in contact with a fine woman and uh, she has a marketing company and they've done a lot of stuff for me, you know, and right. it costs, but yeah, you know, of course they right. need to be anybody else, you know, right. I don't have a problem with that. So you have, uh, and it doesn't take a whole lot of resources. You know, it does take some, but that is one way to go if you're not real adept at manipulating social media. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. some people, some people really get it. And some people, just like you said, it just, I think it, for, for older artists, it's just not of the month. It's, it's it's just not something they were used to doing coming up. So it's like that, you know, they have to think. I got to think about content and reels and short form and long form and what does that look like and chop this, chop that, and edit this and edit that, you know. So so it's it's it's, it's different now. But I think like I said, I think it's so much. There's so much to be said about being able to do things your way, if you especially if you understand what is it you're doing. You know, so that's why that's why I think it's a great time to be to be an independent artist because you know you can do things your way and not necessarily have somebody else say, well, you should you should do it this way. You know, because they may not understand the vision, they may not understand what it is that you're trying to do. You mm -hmm. know? <laughs> so. Yeah, it depended it depended a lot on the, on the, the company you're with and such. I mean, some people were really pleased with. Like for, there was a, uh, a time when Warner Brothers Records was a place where you could go and just do just about anything. Mm -hmm. And and what they would do is they would sign, uh, say, some legacy artists that everybody that they knew they weren't going to make money on. But they were the type of artists and musicians who were respected all through the industry so that when somebody was looking for a label to sign, that was a real established artist, they would say, well, I want to go to Warner Brothers because they got so-and-so and they got so-and-so. And it means they know what they're doing about music. See, so it was a really uh, savvy strategy that Warner Brothers did there. And so it got them a whole lot of big name artists because of the artists that they'd signed who they knew they weren't going to make very much money from. So it was kind of an right. interesting, so for years, they, they did, everybody wanted to be signed to Warner Brothers. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> It's right. really great. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, uh, it's interesting because the industry, when it was so heavily record label driven, the approach was just so different because you were because you were trying to get that deal. But you, one back then too, it just cost a whole lot of effing money. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? And you just couldn't do yeah. it. You know, without you needed a label, you couldn't do it without a label. You know, yeah. so that, that that's just what it was. You can do. You can do a lot of things now for a fraction of the cost. Still expensive. Look, it's still an expensive industry all the, all the way around, but you can do things for a fraction of what it would cost you to do it 30, 40 years ago. You well, know? you can sit in your bedroom on a laptop and do your whole recording. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah man. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, I want to get into your story a little bit. So, um, and I think we talked about this earlier, like, you know, when do you kind of know that you uh, wanted to kind of pursue music professionally? I know you said you remember you going to see, I guess it's like going back to what you were saying before, you know, going to see that concert and, and knowing that this is kind of what you wanted to do. Like, do you remember, do you have a, a specific memory where you kind of knew, okay, I'm, I'm pursuing this, I'm going all the way in? Uh, as soon as I started playing guitar. Um, yeah. So I was only about 12 years old, I guess, and I was already in a rock and roll band. Yeah. And this would have been before Elvis even went in the army. So it was. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. Right. So I, a lot of people said that when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan there, that was when they knew they wanted to do being a rock and roll band. But see, I'd already been in several rock and roll bands before the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. See? Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> You know, as I mentioned, because my family was was really into music and all that, it was a pretty easy thing for me to to imagine. And so I and I had a lot of 
the place I lived in Kentucky, they had a lot of bands there, a lot of younger bands, teenage bands. And so I had a lot of musicians around me. So it was just a real fertile environment to be around. And so it was very easy for me to get into that. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I was around a lot of really good musicians. And you came, you came out, you've been in LA about 40 years. It would have been about 88, early 80s you came out to LA? No, that would have been uh, the mid-70s. Okay. Okay, so you've been in LA since the mid. Okay, yeah, yes, I have. But okay. I was, uh, I was, um, my first record deal came uh, almost ten years earlier when I was signed to Columbia Records and uh, recorded it uh, with Motown musicians for the the actual songs that we recorded. It was only two songs; it was a single. Okay, and so that was 10 years before that. Okay. And had that experience and going up to Detroit and recording with the Funk Brothers, and the, the musicians at Motown. So that was an education you can imagine for five white kids going up there. I bet, yeah. I mean, how was that? You know, I mean, unbelievable. You know. Unbelievable. It was, uh, you know, they had the whole orchestra there. All those guys that played on all those Motown hits. It was all the same guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I tell the story, we had three uh, women came in to do backup vocals along with ours because we were uh, a vocal group. Okay. And one woman uh, was breastfeeding her child as she's singing the songs and reading the chart. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, she's just reading the chart, baby's breastfeeding and she's singing like mad, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because at that time, you know, you had session players, and you still have it today, but, you know, it's, you know, having session players, and this is just what they did. That's how they made their living, going and, and sing background and, and, and do these things and make a nice living at it, you know, and, and, and oh, speaking yeah. of, and, 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 you know, speaking <laughs> of Motown, you know, Barry Gordy really, you know, man, he ran, he ran a tight ship. They always say the saying of, you know, with his songs, like, okay, do you like this song? Would you would you, would you want to buy this song or would you want to buy a sandwich, right? You all hear that. And he would yeah. say, you know, because it was, it was kind of like research and development. Like, okay, it's a song trash, you know, because they, because back then you cared about artist development, which I think it's the number one thing that, uh, one of the things that is really lacking today is, is the lack of artist development because for a lot of artists, because we live in such a fluid world with, with information and, and time and, and eyeballs, people just don't want to take the time that it really takes to, to develop themselves as an artist to have long careers, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, they had a factory going there in, in Motown for that. They, yeah. really, they really groomed all their artists, uh, stage presence, everything. Right. Yeah, that was a big part of it. But I, then 10 years later, and I was in LA, only about a year and a half after I got here, I got signed to Motown Records themselves because they had moved to Hollywood. Right. Right. And uh, left everybody back there in Detroit. They didn't bring those musicians here. Right. Right. They, they brought the artists, uh, but he wanted to get closer to the movie business. So that was, okay. yeah, that was one of the big reasons he came to uh, LA. But of course, in L.A. was when Stevie Wonder made his stand and decided he wanted to have total say in what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And of course, that resulted in those three or four albums he made there in the 70s that all won Best Album of the Year in the Grammys. I mean, that was Stevie Wonder's time there. It was amazing. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And so I was proud for all of that. And, and it was really a, another great education. I made some records there. And and Diana Ross did one of my songs that a buddy and I wrote together. So yeah, that's amazing, man. How 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 was it to work with such an iconic? Um, I have somebody that's such an icon status as Diana Ross to cut one of your records. Uh, well, it, it was amazing. Um, not only that, uh, but when the Richard Perry was a hot producer at the time, and so he was producing uh, Diana's newest album, and so. When they were going to do the song, they invited me and my friend Don to come in there. And because we had done this little demo, it was just a guitar and two voices of the song. Mm-hmm. And it was a funky tune. And uh, speaking of studio musicians, again, they had all the top players were playing in that group. Okay. I mean, Lee Rittenauer, Ray Parker Jr. who did Ghostbusters. He was one of the guitar players. You know, Jeff Percaro was... The drummer he, who we played in Toto later on, you know, it was all these guys. And Jeff was a great guy to, to record with. He was really a lot of energy. And he loved the, the, 
funk riff on the guitar. And so eventually they invited me into the studio to play the riff because uh, they were saying that uh, the guitar players weren't playing it sloppy enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they had me come in and do the part with them, which was a thrill, of course. Right, right. And then uh, Diana did the vocal later on. She wasn't even there for that. Uh, but uh, Diana was, uh, you know, as big a star as she was, and this was about the time she was doing Lady Sings the Blues and all that. It was really yeah. uh, her career. You know, she liked to be treated like a star and all that, but she was she was nice to us. Um, you know, I, you could talk to her. I actually danced with her at uh, the Motown's president, Suzanne DePass, at a wedding, and Diana was there, and I danced with her and stuff. So she was she was fine. The, 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 the guy you would have liked, and I can tell just by talking with you for a while, the guy you would have liked is Smokey Robinson. Okay, cool. That, cool, cool. that guy is a sweetheart. I mean, I've heard, yeah. A wonderful man, wonderful man. And of course, one of the great songwriters of all time. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he wrote songs for everybody at that label, not just for the miracles. You know, right, so. right. No, man, it's amazing, you know, at that time, you know, of, of what the, of what he was able to do, what, what what Motown Records was able to do, and you know, uh, it the record business is such you know, because I tell, I say this all the time, man. You know, this is a real craft. This is a real career, and you've dedicated your life to it. You know, spent a lot of years doing it, and that's why that's why I always would get mad when people would say, "Oh, go get a real job," because people don't no, I... understand what it really takes. <laughs> to make these songs and it very much is a job, you know oh. what I mean? You know what I mean? To create, yeah. you know, to create, you know, because people don't understand. And I've learned this too from my mentors, a few of my mentors saying music is a team sport. And I think today we have, because we have so much independent artists who actually can't afford to pay people out. They end up having to do everything themselves, not understanding. The real big hit records are done in teams of people, you know, and, 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 and you know what I mean? In fact, one thing I always tell people is if you're going to hire musicians to play in a band, for example, and you've written the tunes and all that, the way you get people involved in what you're doing and passionate about it is you give them a chance to contribute to it. Right. You know, hey, you got an idea for this or if you hear the drummer doing something and it sounds pretty cool, you know, grab it. Yeah. And then, then you've got these people thinking, oh, okay, I can contribute to this. You know, I'm part of the process here. Yeah. And it's real important when you're working with musicians or singers, whoever it happens to be. Right. You know, and then you get them contributing to your stuff. And boy, it really helps. It really helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, that that's definitely true. You know, and of course, there's obviously a work for hire situation where, you know, you can tell people, and then people just come and do what they're told to do and they leave, you know? Yeah. That's so that's true. another option as well, too, because there's some people yeah. who don't necessarily want to give up publishing and, so, you know, and things of that oh, nature. I'm not, I'm not giving up publishing. No. <laughs> I'm just talking about when you're doing a rain, head arrangements. With the oh, band. yeah. 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 Not, I, I'm not, not talking about giving up publishing. <laughs> you. Yeah. Because you look, some, I'm sure you, I'm sure you know, Chuck, that. The, the, the business side of the business can get real ugly, you know? Uh, it can. <laughs> yeah. I, I was in a, in a group that, um, you know, I, well, I was in a group with a, with a person who was in a very famous multi-platinum band. Okay. Uh, and so we had a group together after he left that band uh, for quite a while. And we did an album and uh, probably half of the record were songs that I had already written. Okay. And then we, we did arrangement and, and did the songs. And then there was the other half where he, he was a bass player. So he provided maybe a baseline idea. Okay. And then I would take it and make the song from that. So even though I was writing the melody line and everything I played guitar and all that, I was perfectly willing to split it up with the band. But he wanted to do it for all the songs because we were playing them as a band. But the ones I wrote all by myself, I wasn't willing to do that, and I didn't do it. <laughs> right, right. No, those are yeah. Why, why should you give? Why should you give somebody? Uh, why you're essentially giving them money for doing nothing? You know. Uh, I mean? Yeah, that's kind of the way I. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus, there's something you've blood, sweat, and tears over, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You yeah. know. You know. Now there are groups that 
and it's known to certain groups that okay, you had people who did the majority of the songwriting, you know, and and then you had groups that that would okay, you know, we did the majority of the songwriting, we're going to still split split the writer's share equally, but then you know, but again, that's just something that's a case by case situation, you know. What I mean, when it comes and, to <laughs> you and, know. and you know, somebody like uh, Brian Wilson of the Beast Boys, I, I had yeah. heard back in the day when they were had all those hits that. Uh, Brian set aside a certain percentage of his publishing income for everybody in the band to um, get a portion of that, just right. as a, as a gesture. And I, I can certainly understand that. Yeah, yeah, you know, because some look, some guys, some guys in band, they they don't write; they just kind of play. And you know, some you know, you may have one or two guys that do the majority of the writing, and it's okay. And then you have a situation like. The one with Sting and the which well known to think with, with the with this the song called uh every 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 breath you take where he where Sting did not write that song at all, but was business savvy enough to list himself as the only songwriter on the record. I think the group at the time was breaking up. And I think he said, Well, I'm gonna list myself as a songwriter. And I think he makes every year, I think he makes around seven hundred thousand dollars a year in publishing money, in publishing and income money just from being the only songwriter on that song, right? And he owns a publisher. I mean, Sting is one of the richest people in music business. I mean, yeah, yeah. All, all the police stuff, he really wrote those songs. You know, yeah, so. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah just, you know, the, the... Plus he I'll, had his solo career too, you know. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Very yeah. talented guy. You know, I always say um, the music, the business side, right, it's... First, because, okay, then you have, I always say this, you have the music industry. I talk about this a lot of times. You have the music industry, you have the music business, and then you have the business of music, right? And a lot of times, especially in today's space, you have people that are often chasing the industry. And like I was saying earlier, sometimes the industry, when you're chasing the industry, you're almost asking for permission. Based off what they think, am I good enough? To, do I belong, Right. Uh -huh. or, or if you have the music business, that's just commerce. That's just selling direct to your audience and understand who your audience is. But then the business of music is intellectual property and copyrights and things of that nature. So a lot of times I tell people, you don't really need the music industry to be successful in the music business today if you understand the business of music. You know what I mean? So, you know, um, that's, just my, that's just my viewpoint. People may disagree with me, but that's just kind of how, how I look at it. Yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know what music labels really do now, or record labels. It's funny, I, somebody was talking today, um, some little older generation musicians, but they were saying, it's funny, now we all miss record labels. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> As we were talking about Motown there, and, and you don't have a label that would be able to shape a whole roster of artists like yeah. Motown. You right. don't have it at all. Right. And, that was something that um, only that situation could have produced, and you don't have that kind of opportunity anymore. No, no, you do not. In fact, I, I always say this, man, record labels today finish careers. They don't start it. Uh, that's, probably, that's probably true. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you know, I always say you got to get yourself to sick from zero to 60 before a label's even interested, right? So it's almost like when the label comes into the play, into play, you got to ask yourself, okay, do I really want to give up portions of my ownership of my songs? <laughs> you know what I mean? And ownership of well, everything that I've built. Big, you know? That was a big deal back then because you had, say you had, um, you know, songs that somebody was interested in and that was the balance you had to try to discern is, okay, is it worth it for me to give half my publishing to get this, to right. get this label, or to get them to put the record out. And that was a real quandary. Yeah. All artists had to deal with. Yeah. So you didn't get to keep all your publishing until you you know, later on when you proved yourself as a success and exactly. maybe your contract was over. <laughs> which right. the <laughs> suddenly, you know, their manager said, now nah, this time around, we're getting to keep all the publishing, you know? Right. And of course, became some of the richest people in rock and roll music. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, Michael Jackson probably had all of his publishing towards the end there, all that. You know, yeah, but it's 
I remember having to make that decision. Oh, especially at Motown when I signed there, you know, there's no way I was going to be able to keep all of my publishing. Right. The funny thing there was, is that I signed a deal that said, we get to, keep, if we don't finish this contract, we get to keep these seven songs, right? Okay. <laughs> they had neglected to get me to list what seven songs those were. Oh, oh no. Yes. So I ended up with my publishing back. <laughs> How about that, huh? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> hey, you lucked out, right? <laughs> total, total accident, of course, but right. <laughs> nevertheless, I walked, but you know, before that, I had a tune that everybody liked, and Johnny Rivers, who was a hit maker back then, and also was a hit, uh, made hits for other people, okay. he wanted that song, and he offered me only $1,000. Now, this is $1,000 back in the middle 70s, so okay. it's a lot more now than, than $1,000 was back then, right? Right, 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 right. Uh, but I had to make a decision. This was also at the same time that Motown was, was starting to say, hmm, we may want to sign you as an artist. And I had to make that decision. Okay. And retrospect, I think, I wish I would have sold the song to Johnny Rivers because he was the kind of guy who could call program directors all across the country, not right. only because he's a famous artist himself, but he knew how to talk to them. And he had his own record label. He owned Jimmy Webb's publishing, which by the time I get to Phoenix, all those songs that were like huge hit records. Right. He was Fifth Dimension who had hits after hits. Those were all in his label. So aside from his own stuff, he had all of that going on, see? And I, I really should have sold it to him at the time. It was a mistake. And well, you know, look, sometimes when you're in that situation, hindsight's always 20-20. Right? Oh, yeah. In, in retrospect, you know what I mean? And, and, <laughs> but at the time, you know, you, you know, it's a lot to think about. And you're thinking about, okay, major record company, you know, uh, what are we going to do? You know, and you're trying to make the best decision. And sometimes, you know, you just got to, hey, you just got to roll with it. Whatever you make, yeah. you know, roll with it, roll with the decision, and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, but I, I did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, man, I mean, it, I love to hear those stories, man, because, again, the, the most artists in today's world are never going to get a chance to sign a major record company. But there's, no. there's just not enough. There's, just, there's too many artists and not enough labels, right? So... So, so like you said earlier, what do record labels really do in today's space? For a long time, in my opinion, record companies sold music for profit, right? The thing about yeah. it is, these days, you're a brand. The problem is, over, a lot of these record labels, they're not in the brand building business. And not with that, they've never been. They never. They were never built to be to be that. They were built to sell commercial songs. You know, sell songs commercially. And, mm -hmm. you know, sign you, make, make a great record. And they were never built to, to build artist brands. And I think that's where it's mostly changed is that artists now are brands now. It's a whole different thing, right? So the approach is completely different than it would be trying to get a deal to just go make a record, you know? And these days with social media, your social, they're looking at your numbers. What are your numbers like? You know what I mean? What do you, what do you, you know, looking at most likely they're looking at engagement. What are you, are you, how do the fans engage? Are, are they fans engaging with what you have going on? You know what I mean? Things like that. So yeah, much, much different. Yeah. It used to be, they were listening to the music. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, this sounds a monster hit. Yes. You know, we'll put this out and sign you. It was about, it was about the music. You had to have the music. Yeah. It, it's not it's, it's not it's not so it's not so much that anymore it's really more about the brand like you said earlier that's why you have a lot of these tiktok so you have you the way the record labels are looking at it is okay you have the numbers from a volume perspective we can go we can essentially go manufacture the songs so it's like okay we're manufacturing the songs but these people how do we know these people can deliver songs because they didn't do this with the intention of being artists in the first place and so that's where it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> that's where it's kind of tough because you've got to figure out, can these people actually command a room, command a stage, you know? Well, that's a whole other issue, isn't it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, to, to, be, to perform, well, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> right. I, when you talk about that, I, the, the label that signed Billie Eilish, for example, now they were going on a song called Ocean Eyes that she had 
posted, but she and her brother had been recording in their bedroom mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and very effectively for quite a while. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. when it was time for them to make an album, the record company was smart enough to, to let them alone. Mm -hmm. They didn't find them a producer. They didn't make them go in a recording studio. They said, you just do what you're doing. Yeah. And made an album and it was a huge hit. And she's right. you know, one of the artists in the world. And, and I think that's smart. It's smart to yeah, it's smart to recognize. It's smart to recognize what they've already got working. Don't mess it up. <laughs> well, you know, if you hear her sing live on television, she can sing. She's an artist. She can. She's a singer. Yeah. And they can do it on stage. And and you know, she's got that whole fashion thing going, and she's a mm -hmm. nut. And she really engages with her fans. I mean, she'll she'll walk outside of one of her concerts with people standing in line. She'll actually walk out there and walk down the line of kids waiting to go in there and give right. them hugs. And stuff like that. I mean, who does that? Right, 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 right. Incredible thing, you know, what a, what a way to reach out to people. I mean, you're actually there in flesh and blood. It's right. incredible. It's, I, it's just amazing to me. And uh, somebody, yeah. you know, and, and there's nobody more famous in the music business than she is right now. Right, right. No. And, and there you have it. And she's real down to earth. I mean, that's a great story there. It she, is, she, man. Shout yeah. out to her and her brother Phineas. Like yes, doing, especially. You know, they, yeah, they're doing great things, man. They're doing great, great things. Family story, you know, just the whole thing. It's, yeah, it's it's absolutely. really cool. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, I want, so I want to get into, before we get out of here, you know, I want to get into... Uh, some of the work you do you've done in the teaching and education space or you know uh, yeah. you know so you've obviously you've conducted workshops and lecture lectured at the san diego writers conference as well as taught courses on the history of rock and roll and the evolution of songwriting and then we talked i think we might have talked about this before we started recording but just how how much you feel about the importance of education in the music industry well you know i i i've, I've done those kind of lecture sort of things and then I've done hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of hours of one-on-one -on -one teaching. Right, which I enjoy, and, yeah. Yes, and that's uh, guitar-based voice and songwriting. So I've done that for years and years and years. And uh, several people became multi-platinum artists. I had one singer that came real close to being on American Idol and all of that. And, you know, that it's real important when people stay with you for such a long period of time you get to know them as people, you get to know them as artists and what they're capable of. And it's real important because it gave them all the confidence to go further and to pursue their dreams and all that. It's, it's real important, aside from the nuts and bolts of actually learning an instrument or learning how to sing or learning how to write a song. Definitely. You know, I yeah. always say, man, in this business, Chuck, you know, your mental is so important because this industry is designed to test you in every which way. And it's so important to have um, the ability to, to have somebody who can teach you how about all those types of things because it's much more than singing and and and, and performing that to make it in this business. There's so many different elements to it. That well, you know, I would I will, okay, let's take it for example. When I would get a really good uh, vocal student who I thought had promise, right. The things I would always say to them in, in uh, how they were singing is I would say is imagine that you are a songwriter, but you don't have that good a voice. So you want to hire someone to sing your song for a demo. OK, OK. So I would say, well, now you want to hire somebody, obviously, who can sing the pitches correctly. But what you're really looking for is somebody who can bring those lyrics alive, kind of like a movie star does with a movie script. Right. What is extra dimension, the way they phrase things, how they use dynamics to bring out the meaning of the words in singing a song. I said, that's a professional singer. And right. so I would be able to attain that. Wonderful. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Man. Same thing with guitar players. And so you want to play all these solos and stuff. Okay, but let's do a solo that has a, a beginning, a middle and an end. Uh, let's okay. play that has, that has a, a melodic concept to it instead of just stringing licks together. Right. Yeah, and, and I would talk to people about performing because, okay, now you're, you're able to, to play your instrument really well, but now you've got to go up there and put it across on a stage, which is a whole different ball game. It's really different to, to then go on a stage. And for some people, it's frightening, right? 
Definitely. Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, so all those kinds of real deep, detailed things is when if you get people who you know are, are really talented. Obviously, I taught a lot of people that were just doing it for the fun of it. Right. To hang out with me a lot of times, but uh, <laughs> right. well, really, and if you're a teacher, a teaching is a performance for me anyway. I believe that to be true, and that's right. how you gain people's attention and you right. get them to come back again and again. Yeah. yeah. So even if somebody was not a real good musician, if I could get them to enjoy it on a whole bunch of different levels, right. uh, I thought that I was being successful. Yeah. You know, I love that approach. You can have a whole bunch of dimensions to it, but I think you have to look at it as a performance and also to get to a whole bunch of different levels other than just the mechanics of whatever you're teaching. You're going to be a singer, for example. You got to go beyond just singing the notes correctly. So because yeah. we, you and I can talk about uh, singers who are very successful, who don't have any range, say. No, right, have right. Kind of odd voices. I mean, take somebody like Johnny Cash. Okay, he doesn't have what we call a great voice, but he can put a song across like nobody's business. Yeah, yeah. And have yeah. you listen to him and focusing on him. And we can come up with all sorts of examples of that. And that's right. what I'm talking about. No, no, you're exactly right. You know, you're exactly right. You know, it, it's so, it, it almost goes back to saying how some music teachers are like, yeah, you got to know music theory and you got to know. Look, at the end of the day, music is about emotion, man. It's about emotion. Are people connecting to the emotion that you're delivering? You know what I mean? And that's how mm -hmm. I, you know, how I look about it. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it. It's how, you know, it's like in the Black community where you got a lot of these guys that are playing these musicians, you know, that I can't read music, but they, they can play by ear and they understand the emotion of it and they pick up on that. And I think that that's really cool, you know, because again, that's what you're doing. We're we're in the you're in the business of selling emotion. That's what it's about. This is why, this is why, like I said, no two people's careers are ever the same way because you can't tell somebody how to feel about your art. It's art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? You might you might love your art, but doesn't mean somebody else is gonna love it. <laughs> yeah, and we also isn't to say that that knowing music theory isn't a good thing. It's a very good thing. It is a know? good thing, by the way. Yeah. yeah, any ammunition you can bring to your art is a good thing. Absolutely, no, not say yeah. anything wrong. Not say anything wrong with that at all. But yeah, you're exactly well, right. Well, not only that too, but it also helps you communicate with other musicians, particularly yes. if you're really good musicians. You know, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, can you know, like quicker with that. You know, right. I remember I was watching this unsung on Patrice Russian. And they were talking you know about she played on a session for me. Oh, did she? She's awesome. <laughs> yeah, way back when she, she and I had the same lawyer. <laughs> awesome. Interesting. Yeah. No, she's a great she's amazing, but... man. And to say, you know, she came up in the jazz world and purists, yep. right? And, and so when she yep. wanted to go into pop R and B world, they're like, oh, what is she doing? Like, you know, it's like I, I thought about like, you know, she she makes her her hit song and she was her... making money. That's what she was doing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's like George Benson, you know, an incredible jazz guitar player started playing pop R and B. You know, and he said, Look, I gotta feed my family. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Let's be real. In the jazz world, yeah, the purists, but there's probably not a lot of money being made by those guys. Those guys are playing for the sake of playing, they love it, but you know. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more great jazz musicians now than there ever has been. That's the amazing thing. Exactly, man. Shout out to M. Toomey, people to. like that. That Mr. James M. Toomey that recently just passed away a little earlier this year, man. And 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 you know, you know, juicy fruit. You know what I mean? <laughs> but ended yeah. up being, you know, and, and guys like that, you know, who, who have made great your jazz. But they, they understood how to go into the R and B pop world and make a whole nother. Uh, Kashif, you know, another, uh, I love Kashif, you know what I mean? And guys like that, you know, who can do all that great jazz stuff, but, you know, they can, they can play between, between both worlds like that. And I really did love, that's one thing, I mean, I'm not old enough to remember the music, but just watching like the unsung episodes on TV, especially lets me know about some of those older bands that most, I'm too young to know. And it's just interesting to, to watch their, to watch their stories and, and kind of see, watch how they came up in a time in the industry where you said you needed labels and they had to deal with the industry politics and the group, the group politics and group dynamics of 
the whole time getting along, fighting, and all these type of things that people <laughs> that goes yeah. on in the record business. <laughs> well, you know? it's human human relationships. I, hey. I'll tell you though, here's how different it is. When I first came to Los Angeles, I came with a girlfriend, and I had a uh, I was about a nine song demo tape that I had, hey. and so we, we we came into Hollywood. I didn't know a soul in okay. L.A. And we just were on there on Sunset Boulevard and we just looked for buildings that had, you know, a little sign by the door that said some kind of publisher, some kind of record label or something like that. And she and I managed, she'd be down one hall, I'd be down the other one. And I managed to get into places and have them listen to my stuff. <laughs> I swear, it was unbelievable, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could do that now? No, you no, could not. You can do, do it now. You can do that now. Talk to some guy who's been writing songs himself, and he has a publishing company, and he's got this hit and this hat, you know? Yeah. It was it was amazing to sit yeah, there. You know? It was, you know, I'm sure it was a much, much different time. Like, every industry is, you know what I mean? Like, everything is in life, you know? In the 70s, where you know, I watch a lot of true crime stuff, and they talk about the cocaine cowboys and how in Miami in the 1970s, the drug, uh, ended, you know, and you know, how they're like, yeah, because you know, when you think about Miami now in 2022, in 1970s, Miami was a small town, nobody was there, like old people came to live in Miami, you know. What I mean, oh, they did have, they did have a very famous recording studio there, it's still yeah. there. Criterion, yep, 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 whole yep. ton of hits there. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, I mean, it's just it's interesting to think about how the industry used to be, you know, and and that's why I love the mentors that I have in this business that can talk to me about that. Like guys like Barry Coughing, great friend of mine, mentor of mine. Uh, when people, Michelle Vice Maslin, I don't know if you know her. Uh, she no. she's written. Oh, she had over 5,000 uh, sync placements and several hit songs, but she's, she's amazing, man. And, and to hear the stories of, of, what, of people like yourself, what you guys have done, I'm just so thankful to be able to cross paths with people. Like, and just to learn and just to listen to kind of, you know, we have to listen to the, our, our people that came before to talk to us about what it used to be so we can be, we can be appreciative of what we have now because it's much easier now. It's, e it's easier, but it's harder because you have more, as I say, you have more music clutter fucking up the internet. You oh, there's I mean? so many people making music. It's just... Yeah, you know what I mean? You can't even keep track of it all. It's just, yeah, it's just so much. And so that's why you have, you know, that's why I said, you know, there's just too many people making song, making music there to is. try to go and make get a record. You know, there was a time where, again, like we said, we had music people running the music business. <laughs> and it's changed. It's no longer music people running the music business. You know what I mean? So, uh, um, Well, it's, it's because you can take a laptop and record and all this. That's why so many people are making music. And, yeah. And because it's been around now for, rock and roll has been around for 60, 70 years now. So mm -hmm. there's so many people that want to see that as a way to become rich and famous. And what they don't understand is this is an industry that you don't become rich and famous in like that, you know. Uh, and that's quite the same <laughs> sure. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I always tell people, if you want to get in the record business, if you want to make money, there's much easier things to do in life than do music. Because it's, it's if it's just about making money, there's way much easier things to do. Because like oh, I said yeah. before, this is art, and you got to get people to buy into your art, and you're selling emotion, which you can't gauge that based off of a metric, you know. So that's why you know that that's where it's changed, that's not where it's changed, but that's what it's always kind of been. So if you're just here to get rich in the business, you know, you're gonna have a hard time if that's all you want. Because there's very few rich people in the record business, and if there are you know, there's only a handful of them. There's not that many of them who are like super wealthy in the record, in the record business, you know? So, yeah, <laughs> strictly from the, I should say strictly from the record business. Obviously, Rihanna, Rihanna was able to, to build a brand and has gone into the into the fashion and beauty industry and is a billionaire. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, same yeah. thing with Kanye West, you know what I mean? So they was able to leverage. So nowadays it's more about leveraging yourself from the music business and going into a whole other industry to make their money because in this ownership, because like I said, Rihanna doesn't own her songs. Kanye doesn't own his songs. You know what I mean? So they had to go in a whole other industry to, to get ownership, you know?
Well, I, I uh, have a former manager. He and I still stay in touch. And he, I won't say who the artist is because right. I, I, but this is a very famous country artist right now. Right. He's a very wife as well. And I asked Gary, I said, um, how, uh, how much of his income comes from streaming or the sales of, you know, CDs, records, but streams, all this sort of stuff. He said 2%. Mm. Mm -mm. Wow. <laughs> and this is uh. a very, famous guys still right. in yeah an artist and that's right. all it is everything else is other you know avenues yeah you know i think like you said i mean you know stay staying on the road you know you know you know touring is how majority of people still make their living yeah you know? and that, you're getting your songs into commercials movies and tv which of course back in the day Rock bands wouldn't allow that. You, did, you didn't want to have your songs in a commercial. Like <laughs> right. Out. You would never do that. Right. So, right. Oh, you're, you're forced to do that. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays, I mean, it's kind of the, you know, it's kind of, you know, the sync space, the sync world is kind of, you know, it's definitely a world to get your songs heard at a much higher scale. And, 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 and no different than nice check, you know, and some nicer checks too. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, one last thing I would mention on the teaching thing, because uh, I was just thinking of it, um, is that when I was talk talking to people about their songwriting, and I said, first of all, if we're going to talk about songwriting, if you're just trying to write songs that, however you feel it, and they're just kind of art songs for you and your friends, that's one conversation you do not, and you don't need me. Or someone like me but if you're talking about writing you know crisp songs that are going to make it in the marketplace then that's a whole other discussion I, I, Chuck, you said it took the words right out of my mouth yeah it's a whole different yeah if you want to if if like you said if some people music is just therapy they just like to but like i said when you want to write commercially commercial commercially driven songs like you said it's a formula i think people were like at that level when they're writing they're writing formulaic Type because they understand, they understand what's pleasing to the air, stuff, all these different things that people know, think that the average person isn't thinking about, right? But the songwriters know. And yeah, that's why I, wasn't, they can, I wasn't even speaking so much about a formula because there's people who've had hit records that are not formula, but are just still tight, really excellently written songs, right? True, true, you, true. Yeah. Of, like something like Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles, for example, Paul probably wrote most of that. But that's not a traditional formulaic song, and yet it obeys all the things you need to have a tight hit song. And when that thing came on, you knew it was a hit. Yeah. And yet it's not a formula type song. But boy, it's a well-written piece of work there. And and we can think of you know thousands of examples of this. You know, right. in, from today. I mean, we just talked about Taylor Swift a while ago. She knows yeah. how to write a song. Yeah. You know, yeah whether you like. Her particular kind of music, it doesn't matter. She knows how to write a song. I don't buy her stuff, but I recognize she's <laughs> a fine songwriter. Right, you know, and right, right. also say the same thing about her. You know, she knows how to write a Katy Perry. She knows how to write a hit song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and what they are, those are those are good. Well, some of them are great. You know, really good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome, Chuck man. Awesome, awesome, man, man. Chuck, before we get out of here, yes, sir. You know what? How can people get? How can people connect to you? How can they stay in touch with you? You know. Uh, oh, let's talk a couple before we do also too. Some of your your solo releases. Before we get out of here, I did take a listen to some of that stuff, man. Um, I, and um, I really did like it. Uh, let me go back to my notes here. Um, well, listen okay. to Trash Mars. Kind of yeah. had a kind of it had a funk soul rock feel to me, man. Yeah, uh -huh. I really I really enjoyed that, man. So yeah, so your your you know some of your your your, your solo songs, man. Like like talk to me about some of that stuff stuff that you've been putting out recently. Uh, uh, well, I have actually, and they all have videos, and they're all on my website straydeuce.com. I also have a YouTube channel that's Chuck Smith Stray Deuce. Yeah, Instagram, same thing. Um, and some of them are topical. Uh, for example, the Trash Mars thing has to do with the whole idea of these billionaires that think uh, they want to go to Mars, and I guess we can just go up there and set up housekeeping after we've trashed this planet, right? <laughs> That's, 
And then uh, one of them is about is a Putin takedown, and I got in trouble on TikTok. They actually uh -oh. flagged, they flagged the video and the song, and they said for multiple violations, and they threatened to take down my account. Now, oh no! And this is TikTok. All the crap that's on TikTok, yeah. and I'm protesting some guy who's causing the deaths of thousands of people, and I'm the one who's multiple <laughs> violations. I yeah. mean, yeah. right. Yeah. There's also a tune on there that's a tribute to Billie Eilish, actually, that, that I've gotten some real nice response from. So, yeah, there's about seven or eight. I'm, I'm putting up about five more here in the next few months. So I'm very active in writing and recording and all that sort of thing. Yes, thanks for... Uh, oh, that's awesome, man. And, I, and, yeah. and, you, and, you're, and you're also your podcast as well. Uh, I, no, I, I don't have a podcast. Okay. I, I, I've been on some podcasts. I've okay, because I know I was on your website, and I was, and it, it you know, you, you had, I guess it was maybe I let's call it commentary. You had, well, you know, stuff. Oh I know yeah, you, yeah, on my web, yeah, I have lots of stuff on there, and I, I have even uh, some music journalism I even have on there. There's, yeah. it's, it's, if, if I say so myself, it's, it's a fun website. There's a lot of stuff on there. No, definitely, I was, I was checking it out for sure, man. I so cool, man, Chuck. Chuck, this has been a great. This has been fun. This has been great. To hear you hear the stories. I love this conversation. We definitely got to stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. And, Please do. Please and, uh, do. And let's continue. Let's continue, man, to 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 build. And uh, yeah. So this has been fun, guys. This has been another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. It's your host, Jarrell Peart. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.